This is Baby Crazy, and today we're talking about what it means to be a father. Yes, a big topic. I'm Lee Schneider. In a moment, I'm going to play you a conversation I had with Sam Lamont. Sam's memoir, Some Assembly Required, A Journal of My Son's First Son, was co-written by his mother, Anne Lamont. She wrote a memoir called Operating Instructions, A Journal of My Son's First Year. The son in the title is Sam, my guest today on the podcast. Now, because that intro may have been a little confusing, let's check through it again. Sam wrote a memoir about being a father, and he's the subject of a book by his mother about being a baby. As you get your mind around that, consider that these books and Sam's project, Hello Humans, which we will talk about, have some of the most vulnerable and real stories about being a parent and a human that I can imagine. Sam and I speak about showing kids how to experience failure, growth, setbacks, and joy. It's complicated, but we both agree that the process of parenting is more important than the product. Here's my conversation with Sam Lamott. Hey, Sam, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. First, let's talk about Hello Humans. What is that and why did you start it? Oh, man. Hello, humans. Well, it originally was supposed to be something completely different, as all great companies start hmm. off. It was going to be uh, like a little like kickstarted widget thing that I had in mind. But what happened was um, life happened, and I was in a four-year wonderful, kind of messy, but wonderful relationship, and it ended, and it was the end of the world. It was the end of the world as I knew it. Um my first like real grown up heartbreak I'd say where you think you're going to spend the rest of your life with someone and it's over and I couldn't find anything quite as crazy as the real story I was living um online so I just started writing about it and I I wrote a a seven part series called The End of the World Part 1 and people liked it so well I guess Hello Human started because I owned the website hellohumans.co, the dot-com people will not sell it to me. I've tried. I've offered them what I think <laughs> is enough money. But, um, and it was just, that was the website I owned. So that's where it went. Since then, at some point, other people started sending me stories and being like, hey, man, thanks for your honesty. This is really vulnerable and heartfelt. Um, this is my story. And so we posted their stories. And I, uh, we, I guess I posted their stories. Mm. And... um then I got let go. The company was going under, and so I was part of one of the waves of terminations. I just wrote to the following that I had, and I said, hey, I'd like to do this professionally or you know, more full-time, and if you'd like to support me, this is how you could do it. And enough people jumped in that it made it uh, possible. I had to scale back everything. I had to live off of like unemployment plus <laughs> mm-hmm. the generosity of other people's donations. But... uh it somehow has worked and it's since become a podcast and we still do stories and I have no idea, I have no background in this and no idea what I'm doing, but I have a ton of people who make me want to keep doing it and who pitch in enough that I can somehow make it work. It's amazing. I, I just want to reiterate the name is hellohumans.co and in it you're so remarkably open about your life and the people who are posting there are really open about their lives. I really want to know, why do you do it for those of us who couldn't imagine being so open? What's good about that? I'm being a bit of a devil's advocate, but what's the upside 
for you and the people around you about just being honest and open and self-forgiving? Well, the upside for the contributor, the person writing, is that it's really rare these days that you actually get an opportunity to be seen. Yesterday was a really hard day for me, and I'm doing quite well. You know, my life is wonderful, and um, it's tempting to just want to post on Instagram how fun and creative my life can be. But yesterday I was having a hard day, and so I just posted a thing that said, hey, so if you randomly feel completely fucked and doomed, just know you're probably doing better than you think you're doing. And it was just a photo of me. And then people started writing me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay. And so I sat down at a park and I did this funny little, you know, fake meditation video where I said, okay, I invite you guys to come into the room and take a deep breath. And I want you to repeat today's mantra. And the mantra was something like, not everything is completely fucked and doomed. At worst, it is only slightly fucked and doomed. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, people just started doing their own meditation videos and sending it to me, and it went nuts. And a lot more people wrote to say thank you than they actually did the videos. I think we probably got about 30 people who recorded themselves saying, wow. it's, it's not completely fucked and doomed. At worst, it's only slightly fucked and doomed. And, but it's rare to be seen. And heard and we're conditioned to say things like when people say a really lovely beautiful question at its root which is how are you we're conditioned to say like fine we're good mm. we're great or there's weird um programs in us that you know if we're feeling great and we're around people who aren't feeling great we might deaden ourselves just a little bit just so we don't make them uncomfortable with how well we feel and the reverse is true is if we feel awful and other people seem to be doing well, we're afraid to show up and just say, hey, you know, I'm, I don't mean to be a downer, but I'm really struggling here. I really don't know why I'm here at work right now. I, I hate everything. Hmm. And, and it's uncomfortable for some people. Um, not everyone, you know, another unfortunate kind of routine we're in is trying to fix everything. So a lot of people hear a message like that, like, I'm not doing well. And they want to come up with a solution for you. And they want to say, um, well, have you tried this, this, or this? And that's not what people need. What people need is they need you to go, oh, wow. Yeah, I acknowledge that, man. I see you. I've been there. <laughs> if there's anything I can do, let me know, okay? And if not, just, just know I'm here. And for the audience, I... I think when I read a piece of real heartfelt vulnerability, you know, with social media especially, but even before social media, we have an incredibly complex life, right? Like our life is complex and it's full of challenges and hardship as well as good times. And we know our own experience quite well and quite intimately because we're in it. But when we look at other people, we see their outsides and we see the, what they're presenting to the world. And it's just because we don't get to see their like dirty laundry, you know, per se. If you go to a friend's house and there's a laundry hamper full of dirty laundry, you don't go, oh, my God, you have dirty laundry. But with emotional dirty laundry or hardship, we don't assume everyone has it. 
because what we see is like happy couples and great mm-hmm. vacations and all the beautiful parts of life, which I think deserve to be seen and celebrated. But when somebody says, you know, I didn't want to show up to work today, uh, but I'm here and I'm miserable and uh, I'm just going to do the best I can. Like there's that kind of me too factor where it's like, wow, me too. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't need to have a solution. Like that's whenever we prep uh, somebody who says, I really feel like I have a story inside of me. Um, Can you guys take a look at what I have? We always say, you know, the whole internet is full of gurus who want to talk to you from a podium. And we want you to invite them to walk alongside you and just take them through the story. And what's true, what's real, because that's what's medicine. The, the one, you know, one size fits all solutions aren't real medicine. What's medicine is to let people walk with you and see you in your own journey. And then they can take what they like from that and apply it to themselves if they need, you know, some outside suggestion. What you're saying is really resonating with me because today I got notes back from my editor on a book that I'm writing. It's a pretty personal book. It's a book about being a parent. And she wants more dirty laundry. And I thought, holy crap, she wants more dirty laundry. Like, I have to go back and dig deeper into myself to do a better job of telling this story more completely. And I got kind of depressed for a while. And then I sort of said, you know what? She's asking you to do more work on a project you really love. It's going to be hard, but there's a lot of good work to be done there. A lot of self-examination, a lot of good writing. I like writing. So just do it. And, you know, I kind of went through a couple hours of like, oh, this is awful to, you know what? It's going to be hard, but I think I can do this because the project deserves it. And it's going to require more vulnerability for me. But I guess I signed up for that. You know, when you write a book like that, you're signing up for a certain amount of vulnerability. You want to tell the story. You don't want to present that kind of curated social media happy couples stuff because people can go to Facebook or Twitter or whatever, Instagram, and get that. I'm not giving them that. I'm giving them something else. So I've kind of been through this cycle in a mini form just today. (laughs) Sounds like a good editor. Yeah, she gave me 26 pages of notes, very detailed, which I have to digest and, you know, figure out how I'm going to fit that into two months of rewriting. Well, I think, um, you know, the more you exercise these muscles, there's, there's a, there is a fine line. Like, you don't just want to complain for no reason. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really about trying to capture truth that's inside you. And, you know, if... Um, You've lost somebody and it's been three months and everybody's, you know, you feel like everybody's sick of you feeling sad about it. Well, what's true is that you're still sad. And if you can try, you know, to to do some practices that might help with that, like a gratitude list or trying to change your mindset. But if you're sad, you know, this is what I was kind of talking about today is like we're in this culture of like. If you're sad, you're doing something wrong. Hmm. We're like life. Life is really hard sometimes. You know, you could be doing everything right, and bad things still happen. And it's okay to be sad. It's okay to feel your feelings, and 
you know, there's no real handbook on this and there's no real appropriate timeline. And so it might, somebody might get over a 10 year divorce in three months and that's okay. Good for them. And it might take someone else like three years or longer. And as long as they're taking care of themselves and, you know, trying to be kind and not hurt other people, well, like they just need to be able to, to work through it on their own time. And one thing I've been thinking about is because I feel a great deal of pressure, especially on the podcast, because I'm not used to audio. On the on the podcast, I I feel a pressure to like censor myself in some way, and because I'm weird and gross and <laughs> immature, and um, I want to be more refined than I am, but I'm not. I'm just who I am, and uh, you know. I've been doing this little thing where I just go outside and like stomp on the ground because a lot of me wants to like make sure I don't upset anyone by being me. And so I feel like I'm like stepping on a lawn, like trying very carefully not to bend to any blades of grass. And sometimes I go out now and I just stomp the ground and remember that like this world can support me as I am. And as I walk, blades of grass are going to get bent. And that's just part of it. And I have to trust the the system. I have to trust that they will heal or not. But if I am a, an animal running on grass, my job's to run. And that's it. Not worry about, you know, the the animals don't worry about the grass. They just trust that if they do what they're supposed to do, naturally, things will work out. And I think a lot of our problems come from going against that. I want to bring this around to being a parent. And this is a good place to jump into that because so much of my conception of being a dad and being a father is formed by other people, at least in the beginning, right? Before I started to really look at it, I was thinking, well, what kind of a father was my father? And should I be like that? And what kind of fathers are these other fathers? And should I be like that? And I started to think about being a father meant stepping up or stepping into a role, kind of up-leveling. I have to be more than myself. But it's not that really. It does have something to do with stepping into a better version of myself. But I want to ask you, how can we be fathers without the labels, without the definitions, without what other people think, without worrying about the grass that we may be bending or you know, being ourselves, but working that in the, the world of also being a father? Wow. Well, um, my journey about being a dad is really complicated. Mm. You know, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm a teen dad. I got, Jax is my son's name. I got his mother pregnant when... I was 18, she was 19, and he was born when I was 19 years old, and I was a mess. Not only was I a 19-year-old, which, like, (laughs) that alone is not prepared, you know, emotionally or, you know, have the experience to to raise a child, but I was a total mess. I was a drug addict, uh, for one. I had tons of substance problems. I, um, at some point, was a meth addict, uh, speed, and... um, you know, everything else, alcohol, uh, anything that would get me out of myself, I loved. So I can't say that I, I knew what I was doing or was doing anything right. Um, until I really got clean and sober. And I was like, there for the first year and a half. But I wasn't all there. 
and so that's part of my story is, you know, forgiving myself for that. And uh, luckily, my son doesn't remember. Uh, he, he's never seen me like that. He's only seen me as a, a strong and, and sober guy who's um, really living uh, a pretty good life. But I didn't even know how to be human when I got clean and sober. Uh-huh. I mean, I had been pretty much stoned or drunk from 12 to 22. So my my getting sober story was about learning how to be human while learning how to be a father. And it meant making a ton of mistakes along the way. But, you know, I didn't read many books on being a dad. And maybe I should have, but that's just what's true, is that I didn't read the literature. Um, and I didn't have a dad. So I didn't really know what that meant. I just knew that I had a chance to make sure that this kid had a dad Uh and that at least if I was alive and in, in his life, then, you know, he could have something that I didn't. And, you know, I've I've been feeling it out in a lot of ways right now. I feel like my son needs a lot of structure and it's not fun. I want to be the fun dad and we have a lot of fun, but I'm pretty quick to, to be the bad guy. And I think that's, that's just because, you know, I'm, 29 years old and very much daily learning how to have some discipline in my life because it really benefits me. I do well when I'm living a pretty, uh, when I have some structure, mm-hmm. Self, you know, I'm self-employed creative artist weirdo. So it's all new for me. And so just to be able to go recognize that in myself that, wow, I wish I had gotten this earlier. Hey, I can teach this guy this lesson earlier. That's kind of the the attitude I've been taking. You know, the, the theme under that keeps coming up for, for in this and for me is self-forgiveness, that you can't erase the past, you can't forget the past, but you can forgive yourself for when certain things just went off the rails. It's just such a feeling process, and the the difficulty for me is if we're all redefining what being a father is, we're all figuring our way out and feeling our way through it. How do we tell anybody else how to be a father, or can't we? Does it just mean that we each are going to create our unique solution with our unique kid, and that's it? And we just have to tell people, well, you're on your own, you know, just figure it out. You bring up a good point that kids do well with structure, and I'm a kind of guy, I'm not really a structure guy, and my kid needs structure, so I have to become that structure guy. So in a way, I'm bending myself away from my quote-unquote trueness, you know, true self, but I have to do it to be a better father. What I'm getting at here is if we're remaking this, if we're doing this on our own, if we're building it as we go, which is probably the right way to do it, can we help anybody else, help any other fathers with that? Or we just have to say, guys, just figure it out just like we've had to figure it out. I have a horrible habit of giving unsolicited advice. And so mm-hmm. that's something I love to pull back. <laughs> and, you know, if people ask me, I'd love to give it. But I try not to give it if it's not wanted because it'll probably they won't take me up on it anyway or, you know, implement it. But I'm sure there's guys out there that have raised 11 kids, you know, and they could probably speak pretty well about what works and what doesn't. But I only have one. Yeah. And um, the main lesson I got from my mom, who was my, my only parent. Yeah, mm. single mom, only child, is she 
she sacrificed a lot, but she never gave up on her dream. And so I got to watch us. We didn't have any money, none, when I was born. And I got to watch my mom really live in her art form and express herself and work hard towards it. And it didn't matter that we didn't have a ton of money. And eventually, you know, she ended up successful, but that's besides the point because that is the number one thing I want to give to my son is to show him that that's possible, that it's possible to really have a craft that you love most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And to really, you know, be in tune with that you're, you're a creator. And I think that's why we use that word to describe God, if you believe in such a thing. But either way, we use the word creator to describe this omnipotent power. And I think that's because deep down we know that we're creators. We're, it doesn't have to be professional, but we're supposed to be making stuff and expressing ourselves. And I want my son to know that that's possible and that you get to try new things and we can pick up an iPhone and make bad movies with it one day. And that it doesn't have to be good. But if there is one thing that I am focused on as a parent, it's to make sure that he knows that it's possible. Because that's the gift that I was given. I had a bunch of years where I was really scared to to be an artist or creative. And so like, I went to school for industrial design because I thought that was safe. But I never thought in my head that it was impossible. And it's because I had this example in my life. The best decisions I've ever made as a father, I feel like, were the best decisions I've made for myself. I feel like the better care I take of myself, and this might sound backwards, the happier I am, the more capacity I have to be patient and loving with Jax and a great example. Because it it doesn't matter if I have a ton of money if I'm miserable. I know that inherently. Hmm. And what matters is that he sees me thrive because at the end of the day, I am this young man's first role model. And he'll have <laughs> way cooler, more impressive role models down the road, I'm sure. But I'm the first one. I'm th- his template, essentially, at some point where he goes, oh, that's what, what, what men are. And I'm not perfect by any means, but that the goal is to try and be a good role model. And that's not by you know, being a helicopter dad, and that's by like going out there. And when I make a podcast, he always says, I want to hear the intro, because that's really where I get to be creative is in the intro. Uh-huh. He says, I want to hear it. And I go, I don't know, man, I say a bad word. And he goes, it's okay. I won't. I know I'm not supposed to say it. Just I really <laughs> want to hear it. I go, okay. And when I draw a drawing, he wants to see it. He wants to know about it. And um, that that's everything to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really this notion of being an example, being a template, and not elevating that. That doesn't mean that we have to be perfect. That doesn't mean that we're the example for all time. Like you said, your son and my kids too may meet way cooler people down the line. In fact, I hope they do. But to show them that we're being good to ourselves and that we're connecting, in in my case, to the constancy and connection with creativity and work, and that that's really good, and there's a lot to be had from that, that's probably a great thing all by itself. When being parents, we get a lot into the logistics of things like, you know, food on the table, be sure everything's okay, getting to school on time. And what gets lost there is 
kids are recording, they're like video recorders, they're recording everything that you do, even when you think they aren't, they're recording, and they're measuring, and they're looking at you as a dad, as and me, as examples of something, you know, good or bad, something they can measure their lives against, or something that, without even thinking about it, you know, when I think of my own father, I'll I'll track back to something he did or said. It's kind of baked in. It's part of my body. It's part of my DNA. So that feels like a pretty big responsibility, but to deliver on it is really just, if you're going to be a creator, be a creator. You know, if you're going to do what you're doing, really be present. It sounds hard to express that. It's so. It sounds a little bit vague, you know, love them how you can, be where you are now, I don't really have the words for it, but I kind of know where I want to go with it. Yeah, well, I, you know, you mentioned something that I wanted to touch on, and it's just like the purpose of Hello Humans is to show the real side of life. Like, that is so important. And so my son's watching me s- struggle, really, you know, at times mm-hmm. to, to take this thing off the ground and make it something which it may or may not ever be. And it's my job to give him the real look at it of the successes and the failures because uh, I just went to Nashville to do two interviews and they went great. But when I got back, there was a malfunction and the recordings weren't there. And I wanted my son to see that. I wanted him to understand, you know, how painful that was, you know, and logistically it cost a couple thousand and I'm living off a couple thousand a month, you know? Mm. Mm -hmm. So, it was a horrible blow, but that's an opportunity for him to see the problem solving. And if you're just like trying to be Mr. Superhero role model, you don't want your child to just think that life is all happy all the time because you're not preparing them for the world. You need to prepare them for disappointment because that is in its own way just as beautiful and definitely just as much of the experience. It's somewhat about resiliency. I mean, when I see that, that there's going to be ups, there's going to be downs. It's kind of like we've been reading the Dr. Seuss book, Oh, the Places You'll Go. He's going to bring it into school. The obvious lessons there are there's ups and downs, but it's the comeback. It's the resiliency. It's the needing to keep doing it when things go wrong, especially in a creative life. But really, it's a great thing for any life. It's a great thing to show a kid. I'm a, a divorced father of, uh, remarried now, a father of three. And this third time around, the thing that I've found the hardest is really showing emotions in this whole spectrum that when I started as a dad, and when I think of older dads that I knew, you know, we were sort of rock solid guys. Like it wasn't, we didn't cry in front of the kids hardly ever or if at all. And, you know, we were sort of like the rock. And Now it feels very different, you know, with gender roles changing and gender equity changing in the family and, you know, everyone's behaving differently in a family than the quote-unquote rules that I learned earlier on, that it became hard for me because I was, should I get mad in front of this kid? Should I show frustration? Should I always have it under control? And the answer was no, that, of course, you can't completely lose it, but to show frustration and to show that things don't go so terrifically all the time. And then, of course, to recover somehow, even if it takes a day, a week, a month, that is an amazing thing for a small person to see as a model. took me a while to figure that out, 
because I was more intent on curating a life like it was on Facebook or something with a lot of happy, smiling people. But of course, like you're saying, and everyone knows, life isn't like that at all. No, no, it's it's not. I um, I mean, maybe it's because I didn't have uh, a dad, <laughs> so I yeah. didn't know. Mm. I didn't know that you weren't supposed to cry or show emotions. But I got real, real honest talk from my mom, and so if we didn't have a ton of money, you know, there was no anxiety behind it, but it's just like, hey, you know, um, we're gonna have to wait on anything extra that you want, but just keep note of it. You know, if you want a toy, just keep note of it. And when I get paid next, we can we can go get it. And I am grateful for it. I really am. I felt like, you know, I wasn't sheltered. And I think when they're really young, you want it to be a very safe and stable environment. But at some point, you need to start giving them little glimpses of, of what it's really like because hard, unfair things happen every day and we have become very good at handling them. And that's what our children are going to have to do. They're going to have to get an un- unexpected bill. You know, my fridge broke today. I don't have my son today. We're 50-50 custody, but my fridge broke today. It's just, you know, uh, to repair it is $800 and I'm probably going to get a new fridge, which might be more. And I would love for my son to kind of see me work through this <laughs> and just be like, huh, well, we need to get a new fridge. So, okay, let's just do it. Even though, you know, times are a little tight, let's go problem solve. Let's go get this fridge. You know, I was reading your Instagram and you posted an image of a soapbox car and you wrote, I feel like I've been seeking, gathering and building myself over the past seven years I've been sober. I picture myself like a soapbox car I've been working on in the garage. It's rickety, but it kind of works and that's awesome. But it couldn't possibly survive going down the mountain it was built for yet. So there's a lot in there. Life is a work in progress, self-forgiveness. I thought it was great. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I think in I think in images. And you know, that is kind of the the theme of the year is, you know, I have spent the last 7 years really doing a ton of work on myself, but not a ton, uh, not as much action as I'd like. And I've done some really cool things. You know, I've been a street artist and that was an incredible chapter of my life. And then I started showing sculptures in galleries. That was great. I got a big kid job at one point. Uh, The big kid job ended. I started writing. I started doing this. And at this point, I want to just, you know, really produce. And that means making a lot more bad art than I'm used to. I'm used to being able to perfect. And in terms of a fathership, like that is what I'm trying to teach him now. Cause it's taken me, I wish I had learned this younger. And so we go watercolor and I am very bad at watercolor and Jack (laughs) has never done it. And we make bad watercolors and we don't tear them up. Uh And for me, I try to share them even if they're bad. And I don't always, I don't always have the confidence because there's that image consultant that only wants you to present the good-looking things. But um, I make my son not tear him up either. And he's just like me. He wants to. He's like, oh, man, I could have done better. Yeah, you could have. You totally could have. But that's not what happened. Don't kill the art. Definitely don't kill the art. Because I have lost so many cool projects to my per- perfectionism. So many. I hmm. can't even count how many projects that I never even started because I knew it couldn't possibly be executed the way it was in my mind. And 
the best lesson I got from a mentor, which my whole life, you know, since I didn't have a dad was all mentors, uh, was more recently. And it was just like, you know, the vision of that art, if you're an artist or a creative and you have these intense visions, that's like in the, uni- in the like language of the muse or the creative energy. And your job isn't, it's not a blueprint for you to build that exact object. That'd be like doing a perfect translation from Japanese to English. They don't have the same words. You, it's your job to interpret it. And so when Jax and I sit down to do anything, you know, he has very strong vision too. And we went to, we took a box and we were going to build a little like car thing he could hang out in and imagine himself driving. And there's a million times where he just went, he just wanted to give up Hmm. because, you know, he had imagined these smooth, beautiful fenders of the car and we're building it out of cardboard and you kind of have to kink it. (laughs) to get it to make any kind of shape and it's not going to be totally smooth but you know i was raised with the kind of our family motto which i have tattooed on my arm i'm like i heard there's a movie where the guy's just like tattooed with little notes to himself that's kind of how i am and right on my arm facing me it says we never give up and that's what i tell my son all the time we never give up that's a secret you want to watch me build hello humans like i'm crawling at times like my my saying is being unstoppable has nothing to do with speed. It has to do with just keep going, you know, because we're sold these crazy ideas. We love superheroes. We love things that are larger than life and exaggerated because I think I'm not a psychologist. I think it's something that we could never be. So it's safe to like appreciate it. But the truth is that it means like some days you feel like you can hardly get out of bed to do it anymore. And you just want to quit and things aren't looking good. But if you crawl, well, you're still going. And, you know, eventually you'll be able to run again. But it's really just about, I think, you know, in life and especially as a as a father, you know, or, or husband, which I'm, I'm single at the moment, but I've had some good partnerships, is about not giving up. Magic happens when you don't give up. And that's something that us as adults need to remember, but our kids really need to be taught is that that grit especially you know these days where attentions are at all-time low like our news stations don't even have attention spans anymore <laughs> that's true you know a uh, week goes by and a huge story that should be talked about at the the whole year just disappears for something else we need to learn how to sit down and be bored and do it and i'm still learning that and I don't think you have to be a master at something to to teach. I think as as a parent, you just have to work on your craft and let that be the the lesson. Is for invite them to sit with you, which means that it'll go slower. You know, if I'm working on a a wood project in my little wood shop, if I invite my son, things are going to go slower because I have to explain and this and that. But he can watch me make mistakes. He can watch me build stuff. He can watch it not turn out how I want it to. And he can watch me appreciate that it's funky (laughs) and not perfect at the end. And that's, I don't know, that's what I wish um, I I had learned earlier. And I think that's the interesting thing about being a parent is that you can make a few moves. You have the opportunity to make a few moves to maybe teach something important to you to someone earlier than you got it. So often we're teaching what we're learning. Yeah, I think so. 
for me at least. I think what people really are looking for as parents is permission to be themselves and permission to search and be seekers. Things just keep unfolding. Things keep changing. The solution you had yesterday is not the solution that works today. And for me to reboot and to recover is a a good thing for me for my own self-development, but it's also good for kids to see that. Like, well, that kind of -of out-of-the-box solution for whatever it is didn't work, or this is a piece of bad art, or you do have to rewrite that. And certainly, this last kid of mine has taught me a lot of that, that kind of, you know what you thought you knew? Hmm, take another look at that. You know, you're going to have to revisit some (laughs) stuff and be humble about it, yet have a certain amount of authority because you are the kid's parent. Yeah, it's one of the really cool things about our times, too, is there's a lot more process out there. Mm, right. And so I love I love looking at a, a finished book or a finished uh, painting or finished sculpture, but to be able to see these artists, like, paint it stroke by stroke and see what's real, like, how cool as adults. It's almost like we get to be kids and watching, yeah, right. <laughs> watching people that we look up to as, as if they're we're in their studios and it's the same with with being a parent i think i think the process is more useful than the product absolutely that is a great note to end on i have to end on that because that's too good yeah that's the title right there actually there you go there you go got it so <laughs> hey sam thanks so much for being on the show lee thanks for having me look for show notes about this episode at goingbabycrazy.live I will also post a transcript of the show and some key takeaways right there online, so check out goingbabycrazy.live. A lot of people get the show on iTunes, and if that's you, don't forget to rate us and post a comment. When you do that, it helps us reach more listeners. And by the way, I'd love to hear from you directly. The listener feedback line is 424-265-1634. Just dial that up and leave your comments about the show. You can also listen to the show on Simplecast, Stitcher, and Google Play. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. I'm Lee Schneider. Music for Baby Crazy was composed by Tom Disher. Episodes edited by Lee Schneider and Kay Vermeule. Baby Crazy is a production of Red Cup Agency. Hey, it's Lee Schneider, a co-founder of the FutureX Podcast Network. Have you heard of Good Pods yet? It's a new app where you can follow your friends and influencers to see what podcasts they're listening to. So for all of you who spend too much time scrolling around, trying to figure out where is that great new show, this will solve your problems. Just download Good Pods from the App Store, pick some people to follow, and invite your friends. And you'll never be without a podcast recommendation again.